The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the program heard daily here on the Shepherd Radio Network called Afternoons with Mike. I'm so honored to have with me today Pastor David Taylor from Oasis of Hope Foundation and to hear his story, the great work that he's doing uh, in Colombia. Uh, he's here in the States uh, occasionally as well, and will actually be down at the same event that I'm going to be at later this week, the Christian Business Expo at uh, for the U.S. Christian Chamber. Uh, David Taylor, it's great to have you. Welcome, my friend. Hi, Mike. Good morning. It's great to be here. Yes, indeed. We're recording this uh, on the same day that we're playing it back, and it is uh, always a joy to get to talk to people. I've met you before with a mutual friend of ours, Marvin Couch, was um, with, with you when I met you at Metro Life Church. Yeah, Marvin Couch is a big friend of mine, and of course the chairman of the missions board at Calvary Assembly, and he's also on the board of Oasis of Hope Foundation and Convoy of Hope. You know, as long as it's got open in it, I think Marvin's going to be on the board there or something like that. <laughs> That's right. Now, I love listening to you talk, David. You have that beautiful brogue from, from the, good, uh, the good area of England. I don't know much about your background, and I may, it may not even be England. It may be one of the other countries in the UK, but I'm anxious to hear that story. So let's start there. Where did you come from? Well, I'm from uh, Northern England, a working-class family in Northern England. Um, my mum was born in Dunbar in Scotland. Uh, and my dad was born in Ireland before he came over to England, but I was actually born in the the city of Kingston upon Hull in Yorkshire. Oh, okay. Yorkshire! Yorkshire. Yeah. Come on, come on! Yeah, I've been uh, not too terribly far from all there, Birmingham and also Manchester. Uh, those are two locations that we traveled from and to, and. Um, been in Southport and Liverpool and, of course, London and Kent. Hey, you've been to more places in England than I have, Mike. <laughs> I don't think so, <laughs> but that's that's funny. Yeah, I, and I loved it. We walked all through London, um, and it was a, a delight. You know, when you travel by train, it's it's a little different. You arrive at your location there, and we, we didn't have a car. We didn't rent a car. I almost died, uh, David, driving uh, a rental car in England. I almost pulled right out because of the difference in the sides of the driving pattern on the roads. There's just one thing you got to remember when you're driving in England. Keep left, keep, keep left, keep left. <laughs> That's it. Oh, my goodness. I, lo I looked the wrong way and started to pull off because no one was coming in my north, and it was... A big bus just zoomed by, and if the friends with me hadn't have said, no, <laughs> hit the brake. So I did, and boom, there it goes. It was very close. Grateful that I didn't die in England, my friend. Hey, listen, this story of you being there, and now you're here, and but your ministry is in Columbus, uh, Columbia. How did all of that happen? Well, basically, as I say, I'm from a, a very uh, poor family in uh, Yorkshire, Kingston-upon-Hull. Um, we're a fishing family, 
Um, basically, we used to have to survive on government handouts at one time. It was that bad. Wow. Uh, I'm from a large family, um, 11 kids, 11 siblings, and nine boys and two girls, right? So mm. we were a big family. And, and uh, you know, religion um, was taboo in our house. You could never mention religion, okay? So there was no religion whatsoever in the house, which was amazing because when they buried my dad several years ago, they buried him as a Catholic, and we all thought he was a Catholic. We had no idea, okay? So my dad was a deep-sea fisherman. Um, I left school at 15. No academic ability, no qualifications. And just like my father, I became, you know, deep sea fisherman as well. We used to go to these places like Iceland, Greenland, Bear Island, Spitsbergen, Norwegian coast, all these very cold, alienated climates. And they were, these were hard men who worked the deep sea fishing industry. I worked when it was iron men and wooden ships. Okay, Mike? Wow. <laughs> so, you know. Now, this is not like uh, the kind of what we think of here in Florida with deep sea. Uh, you, these are big ships then, right? Yeah, these are, these are ships that had 20 men. There was known as conventional trawlers, and later they the, the adapted to deep freeze trawlers that could be away for six and seven or eight weeks. But when I was a fisherman, Hull, Kingston upon Hull, was the largest fishing port in the world. Well, how do you work that out? Just by the just by the amount of fish what was landed each year. So it was mm. the largest fishing port. Uh, and as I say, you know, I became like my dad. My dad was a very heavy drinker. And when he was in drink, he could be an extremely violent person. Mm. Now, my sister, Mary, um, basically she told me the story of my birth some years after I'd become a Christian. Now, my sister was very embittered towards the memory of my father. And, you know, bitterness is worse than a, psychologi uh, a physiological mm -hmm. cancer. Yeah. It eats away from it the sure inside does. and destroys a person of everything that God ever had for them. So my sister wanted to tell me the story of my birth simply because she thought it was going to upset me. But in fact, it didn't upset me. It, it kind of excited me because she said, when your mum... Um, was eight months pregnant with you when she was nearly 50 years old at the time. So wow. in, in all, all probability, I was an, uh, an unplanned birth, Mike, at 50 with 10 yeah. other kids. Okay. Big surprise, yeah. Yeah, big surprise. So she said, when your mum was eight months pregnant with you, your dad, who was drunk at the time, knocked my mother down the stairs. Oh. So she's laid at the bottom of the stairs for several minutes, losing blood before the actually rang an ambulance. The ambulance finally arrived and they got my mother to the hospital where the doctor said, it's a miracle that this baby is still alive. So I'm a miracle baby, Mike. Can I you believe, believe it. That? Now the Bible tells us in uh, Psalm 139 that God knew all about us even whilst we were still in our mother's womb. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 1 yeah. verse 4 say, God chose us before the beginning of creation. Can you believe that? That's such a great So reality. I know now that God had my back from the get-go. Yeah. Okay? How did you find the Lord to begin with in such a family that had no background at all? What was the 
What were the events that led you into accepting Jesus as your Lord? Like I just stated, I became a bit like my dad in the fishing industry, but then I joined the British Merchant Navy, which is your mercantile marine, and I got away from the drinking and, and the culture of drink, and we used to go to places like Australia, you know, the Far East, Hong Kong, Singapore, and stuff like that. Uh, and, you know, I eventually wasn't drinking as heavily, but I got involved in drugs. It all started mm. off very innocently, just smoking some marijuana, but one drug led on to the other. And, and my drug, what really ate me a lot, was LSD, which is an hallucinogenic. Yeah. So through taking LSD, I ended up under a psychiatrist in about 1976. Finally got away from that. So to cut to the chase, to cut a long story short, we come all the way to September 1988. And I'm in front of the judge again. I was in prison five times up to that point, okay? And I'd also been jailed in Angola, in Africa. I'd also been jailed in Iceland uh, and in France. But the good news is, Mike, I've never done our jail time in the USA because God is good, right? Mm -hmm. That's a joke, mate. Okay. <laughs> so um, basically, I'm in front of the judge for a conspiracy to burglary. What does that mean? That means taking, trying to take some money. And at that time, I didn't need money because I was a very successful businessman. I owned my own yacht in Port Andrach in Mallorca, 30-foot yacht, five berth named Sloper. Uh, I owned my own business, lock, stock and barrel. I used to sell furniture. And people said I was a very good salesman because I had the gift of the gab. I don't know how true that is, but I'll take it. Uh, uh, I believe it. Uh, yeah, you believe it. Right. So also, I had thousands of English pounds in the bank. So you might think, hang on, why did you get involved in a conspiracy to take some money when you had all this money already? Uh, well, up until that point, I had no clue, but money was my God, mm. right? Or let me re re rephrase that. The love of, the love money, of money was yeah. my God. Money, it's good to have money. It's a tool what's very useful. But when you make money your God, that is a huge problem. So mm -hmm. that's why I got involved in that crime. So I ended up in prison. I got four years. Because when you're talking about conspiracy in English law, you're not going to be sent to prison for a few months. It's always going to be for a few years. So I ends up there, four years in prison, not understanding what I did. The Bible tells us in John 7, uh, verse 15, I don't understand what I do, for instead of doing the things that I want to do, I always end up doing the things that I hate. And that was me. I believed I was a good person. I tried to do the right thing, but somehow always mm -hmm. ended up doing the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. So I'm in the prison, never been in a church in my life. So someone says to me, oh, Let's find a place to talk where we won't be disturbed. Let's go to the chaplaincy. So we went to the chaplaincy, a very traditional Anglican chaplaincy, Church of England. Mike, no one got excited in that chaplaincy. If they got really excited, they used to raise their heels about two inches, okay, something like that. <laughs> That's if they got really excited. So the guy never turned up. The guy never turned up who was, I was going to chat with. So I'm there in the chaplaincy, and there's the chaplain, um, you know, preaching the word of God. But everything he said com went completely over my head. I didn't understand a word that he said. 
But what I did get was this feeling of peace. So we're all looking for the peace that transcends all human understanding, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that I had that at that time, but I, I felt a little bit peaceful than I did in the wider community of the prison. Okay. So I started going to the chaplaincy and then someone handed me a book and it was the second most read book in the English language after the Bible. It was John Bunyan's mm, Pilgrim's Progress. Progress. There you go. You got mm -hmm. it. And I got to a chapter. It was a chapter called Vanity Fair. And I was reading Vanity Fair. And for the first time in my life, I understood what a vain, conceited, selfish person I had become in my life. Mm. Everything that I'd ever had, what was truly of any value up until that point, I'd allowed it to slide through my fingers for the love of money or for some other selfish motive. So I thank God for Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, I advise anyone to read it. It's wonderful. But you can read Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, uh, front cover to back cover. You can read the Bible, front cover to back cover. You can go to church every Sunday. You can be brought up in children's church, youth church, but that is not going to make you a Christian. Okay. That's right. So 24th of December, 1988, I'm alone in my prison cell and I woke up about four o'clock in the morning. And when I woke up, I felt this tremendous presence all around me. And I, I saw this bright light in the corner of the cell. And at that precise moment, I knew that Jesus Christ of Nazareth had died on the cross at Calvary for me. Oh, my goodness. And I said, Jesus, if you are real, come into my heart right now. And guess what? He did. He did. He did. In and an unmistakable way, clearly. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and, and I said I was nearly 40 years old at the time. Um, basically, I said, I'm sorry for all the wrong things that I've done in my life. I ask forgiveness of my sins. And I remember that 40 years just flooding down my chest uh, in tears and I fell asleep. And when I woke up the next moment, morning, I was a brand new person. Wow. I had no idea what a spiritual rebirth was. I had no idea what a born again Christian was. All I knew was what John 8 verse 32 tells us. You shall know the truth and the truth. She'll set you free. And it began with just that moment of peace when you went into that chaplain, uh, the chaplaincy. And, and that, be, that was the start. That, that was the start. Did and you, then the call happens early in the morning. Did I understand it was Christmas Eve? Did you? Is that right? It was Christmas Eve when that happened. So when I woke up, it was Christmas Day. Yeah. Now, Mike, I had the best job in the prison, right? And I had to do it on Christmas Day. You know what the best job in the prison, and you must do. Come on. Um, Cleaning the restrooms. <laughs> <laughs> um, that wasn't the first thing that came to my mind. I was thinking handing out the Christmas cookies, but but that, well, that's where I was going with well, it. Well, <laughs> I was cleaning the restrooms out, and you know, if if you're gonna do a job, do a good job, right? That's right. I'm cleaning the restrooms out, uh, and I remember saying to God, God, if you want me to clean these toilets out, we call them toilets in England. If you want me to call, uh, clean these toilets out. I'm willing to do it for the rest of my life. So that wasn't a bad thing to say. But the most interesting thing that was happening at that time 
was 24 hours before, I didn't have a clue who God was. 24 hours later, I'm having a conversation with oh, him. Oh, that is so great. I'm having communication. Of course, communication is not gauged by what the speaker says, but by what the listener hears. Mm -hmm. So I've always listened to what God has told me. I've always tried to be obedient to the things that he's want, wanted me to do. So that's how my kind of Christian life started, a Damascus Road-type conversion. I did nothing to deserve it. I was the black sheep of the family. But when God was going to give me that opportunity, not even wild horses would take that from me. Mm. That's such a great story, David. And you know, uh, that, that whole thing at age 40, how long was it until you got out of prison at that point? Yeah, I had about another two years to do. So in that two years, basically, I had said to the Lord, what do you want me to do next? Because you know, in Christianity, something always comes next, right? That's right. So he wanted me to go into education. So I said, Lord, are you sure you've got it right? I know nothing about education. I left school at 15, no academic ability, no qualifications whatsoever. No, I felt in my spirit that it was education. So I started uh, with graphic communications because there was nothing else available. So I started drawing the, the skyline of New York and Brighton Pier in the UK and stuff. Uh, I had no idea why I had to do that, but it did make you, you know, pay attention to detail. Mm -hmm. So that was good. Then I did some communication skills and then the British social history. So I was along, I was on the first rung of the ladder. Now the Chinese say even a thousand mile journey must begin with the first step. So right. I'd taken my first step and I was quite good at it, believe it or not. And I got an unconditional offer and to go to university in my hometown of Hull when I was released from prison. So I sold all the, you know, the trappings of wealth, the yacht and the mm -hmm. business and all that. And I went to university. Let's pick that up then in the next uh, segment. We're up against a break right now. My guest today is Pastor David Taylor with Oasis of Hope. We'll be back with him in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike. Are you looking for the right franchise to open your own business? Green Flag Franchise has the experience and knowledge to help match your business plan with your goals and values. Is your business ready to become a franchise? Green Flag Franchise will help you explore the potential and benefits of franchising your existing company. For a free consultation and coaching, visit GreenFlagFranchise.com. That's GreenFlagFranchise.com. Palm Beach Atlantic University Orlando offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. My guest in the studio is David Taylor, Pastor David Taylor from Oasis of Hope. And that story about meeting the Lord in such a way, I've heard a lot of prison stories of salvations and and. They're all unique. They're all wonderful. When you have something that's happened like what happened to you, what was so cool about it was you were arrested in a moment with, first of all, peace in your heart. That's what the Lord did in your heart that made it unique to anything that you had experienced before. You knew that something was different, but then that incident early in, early in the morning when the Lord is shining his light on you 
and you feel that tangible presence of the Lord changes your life. And then you're going to get out of prison. And we left the story with you going uh, to the, the city and you're learning art, you're learning graphic design. Yeah. So as I say, when I came out of the prison, you know, I was ready to go really. Unlike a lot of prisoners who were released in very uh, difficult circumstances, no funding or anything like that, nowhere to live. Uh, I, I was, you know, I had all the provision that I needed um, to do what God wanted me to do. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't easy. Um, being at university, I studied applied social sciences, which is a mixture of psychology. Now, you didn't even really have what would be the equivalent in America of a high school graduation or a, a diploma, right? No, I left school at 15 with no qualifications whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> you could read and you probably were able to do math, right? Yeah, I mean, I did a lot of reading when I was in uh, the Met- British Merchant Navy. I said the Mercantile Marine. Uh, I'd read all Eastern religions and philosophies. Uh, I'd even read the Chinese Manifesto. I'd read Alexander uh, Solzhenitsyn and stuff like that. You know, I'd done a lot of reading Tolkien. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, uh, I'd never read the Bible. You know, no one had ever told me about Jesus Christ. Every port chaplain who came on the ship never shared Christ one time. Oh, goodness. All he asked for was a donation, basically. That was about it. So I'd done a lot of reading. um, But as I say, you know, none of it was leading me to the truth. There's a little bit of truth in all those kind of things. But, you know, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth and the life. So when you're at the university there in the beginnings, did, did you continue to have this communion with the Lord in the same way, in the same level of intimacy? Absolutely. Uh, from the get-go, I've always had that communication with him. So I'm into my second year in the university. It's about May 1991. And like all good Christians, I know you do it, Mike. I, I can see by looking at that every night before you go to bed, you're praying to the Lord for direction. Is that right, Mike? It, it's kind of <laughs> not... It's oh, kind of yeah. nodding a little oh, bit, oh, you yeah, know. Right. <laughs> uh, anyway, on this particular night, I did pray for direction. Yes. And I had a dream. Now, how many believe in dreams? Well, that's a good question. I do with a passion, okay? So that night, I had a dream. Uh, and in the dream, I was coming in uh, in the clouds of the northern tip of South America, which incorporates the countries of Venezuela, Colombia, and Ecuador. So I was coming in directly over Colombia. And all I remember was storm clouds gathering over Colombia. I woke up and I knew that that's where God wanted me to be. I knew that the country of Colombia was my destiny. But of course, I didn't get up, uh, uh, you know, that morning and immediately pack my bag for uh, Colombia. I had my degree to finish, which I did. I, I got an honors degree from the university. You know, I was invited back to the chaplaincy, what I, gradua- uh, what, um, what I graduated from as the assistant to the chaplain. It was a ecumenical chaplaincy, so I learned one or two things there, Mike. <laughs> I was invited back into the pr- prison system, what I'd come out of as the Pentecostal chaplain of Hull Prison, and I was also invited onto the chaplaincy team at the Walls Prison, which was the first privatised prison in the UK, run by Group Four. So it was, a, a, I was in a, the state of preparation. And we all know that 
there's no anointing without preparation. Mm -hmm. You must be prepared for the thing that God has called you to do. Mm -hmm. I, I heard uh, years ago, somebody used to say, the fire of God will never fall on an altar that hasn't been prepared. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm doing these jobs. And then my pastor, David Cooper, from the Revived Church in Holy, said, uh, if you're going to be a missionary, you must apply to the Assemblies of God. So I said, the Assemblies of God? Who were they? He said, that's who we are. That's what our church is in fellowship with the Assemblies of God. I said, right, I'll apply to them. So to cut long story short, I applied to them. They, in 1994, they told me I was too old to go to the mission field. Uh, so, okay, well, if I was old, too old in 94, what am I now? I have no idea. But eventually, um, a new missions director came in and, and he wanted to meet me. It was a guy called Andrew Belfield. And he said, uh, you know, let's have a little chat. We had a little chat. And after about five minutes, he said, Dave, I believe you've got a gift in communication and that doors are going to open at the highest level for you. Consider yourself an Assemblies of God missionary. So I didn't go to Bible college. I didn't do anything like that. Uh, you know, I was accepted as a missionary. And a couple of years later, I was ordained uh, into the Assemblies of God as a minister. Um, wow. So that's how it all panned out. And I eventually went out to San Jose, Costa Rica at the back end of 1995 to, to study at Sincel, which is the Assemblies of God Language College. Mm -hmm. In, you know, as I say, in Central America, every um, Springfield missionary who's going to Latin America must go through Sincel. And Sincel was a tough place for me to go because I was like about 42 then. I had no Spanish whatsoever. The director couldn't understand why I couldn't learn any Spanish. So one time he took me aside. He said, I'm going to do a simple test with you and let's get to the bottom of why you can't learn any Spanish. So he did some English grammar with me. And at the end, he said, I've got some excellent news for you. I said, what's that? He said, you don't know any English grammar. <laughs> it's perfect to learn Spanish now. So yeah. from, from that point, I started learning what a subjunctive was, right. what an adjective was, what a pronoun was, et cetera. And, and even though Spanish is still, uh, you know, my biggest challenge, uh, I would say, in our community, communicate quite well in that language. Yeah, and you know, you're there a good deal of the year, right? I live in Santa Marta, Colombia. Yeah. You're not a good deal. I just come occasionally. You come over here occasionally. Occasionally, yeah. Okay. Occasionally. And you're immersed in it. It's uh, one thing to visit a, an area where you're studying the language and you might know a little bit about it, but you're not, uh, you're not really catching everything. You're there. You're immersed. That, that really calls upon you to have to to dig in. Yeah, and another neat thing to happen is if, if you want to learn Spanish, marry a Colombian, okay? Mm, there you go. <laughs> so I married my wife, Daria Lou. So I arrived in uh, Colombia eventually on the first day of August, 1999. Uh, I just had one small suitcase and a Manchester United shirt because I, I have to mention I'm a Manchester United supporter that's a soccer club in the premier league in england guys for those who haven't got a clue what i'm talking now about they would call themselves a footballer club over there right yeah it's soccer over here football in the uk <laughs> that's it. so i roused with just a suitcase and the man united shirt uh, and 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 basically that's all i had uh, i was single at the time and since then you know god has spoken to me a few more times about buying a piece of land um, on that occasion, I was uh, walking down a path to a very poor barrio called Vista Ramosa, 
which means beautiful view in English. And, and the pastor of the church, what I was attending at, at the time, he said, will you go and visit this very poor family in this very poor neighborhood? I said, yeah, I'll do that. So as I'm walking down the dirt road, God speaks to me again. So you said, has God continued to communicate with mm -hmm. you? Yes, but don't think it's every day. Right. Well, he does speak to me every day through a very good book, which I, I'd recommend anyone to read. It's called The Bible. <laughs> I knew it was coming. You know, that's, <laughs> that's right. The, that's the pro my prophetic word for today. <laughs> read your Bible. There you go. So I'm walking down this dirt road. I looked to my right and God says to me, I want you to buy that land. He told me what was to go on the land, be built on the land. He told me how much I had to pay for that land. And the third thing was, he told me I had to pay for it with my own money. Now, my mother is from Scotland, okay, Dunbar in Scotland. She's a very frugal woman. My mother can peel an orange in her pocket, Mike, I can assure you. <laughs> and she taught me very well to look after my money. Yes. So when God said to me, pay for it with your own money, I had to think for just a few seconds, but of course, then I was going to be obedient to God because obedience is one of the least used words nowadays, I think. We I think need, you're right. Yeah. We need to be obedient to God. And obedience is better than sacrifice. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, I did buy it with my own money. Uh, and that day, God did me a great service because he gave me the ability to leave a legacy. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's my legacy to Columbia when I'm no longer here because I'm not going to live forever, Mike. You do mm. know that, don't you? I do. So when I leave, you know, that land and the ministry, the multifunctional ministry that's left on it is my legacy to Columbia. And I wouldn't swap that for all the tea in China. And that's saying something for an Englishman because we love our cup of tea. Okay, Mike? Mm -hmm. Now, when you think about this, this whole thing about what God did. I mean, it's clear that he's leading you. You're seeing a piece of property. You're being told in your own heart from the Lord to buy it, which you do. And he gives you the kind of the grand overlay of how you're going to build on it. Uh, the, what was the primary purpose for all of that? Was it for the initially, was it, did you see the whole end from the beginning? No. Um, basically, God just told me to buy it. Uh, and then when, uh, before I left the UK in about, I think it was about July, 1999, um, God had told me to start a children's ministry. Before that, uh, I'd had, you know, the possibility of starting a teen challenge center in Medellin, mm -hmm. uh, Columbia, because uh, I'd been invited to Times Square Church in New York. Um, where, of course, David, David, Wil Wilkerson. David mm -hmm. Wilkinson and Don Wilkinson, not many people know that, but they were co-founders of that church. So Don wanted to meet me. And uh, because by that time, I, I was the director of evangelism of Teen Challenge in Guatemala, because after Costa Rica, I went to Guatemala for a couple of years as part of the preparation for when I arrived in Colombia, the country of my destiny. So Don said, right, you know, I want you to start this Teen Challenge Center in Medellin, Colombia, uh, famous for Pablo Escobar and drugs and stuff like that. And of course, this kid of youngest of 11 from a very poor working class family in Northern England, I thought, wow, how can this be possible? You know, I, I, was, I was on cloud nine, you know, but I've learned that, you know, 
we don't live our lives on top of the mountaintop. That's right. We occasionally get there, but the majority of our lives uh, are lived in the Valley of Despair. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited, goes back to Guatemala. Uh, and when I got back to Guatemala, I got a fax. Do you remember faxes, Mike? I do remember faxes. There's two kinds of faxes, uh, prophetic faxes and pathetic faxes. Okay. <laughs> so I got a prophetic fax. It was from, just from this regular guy in my hometown of Kingston-upon-Hull in the Revived Church. Never been a leader or anything like that. And in this fax, it said, that initiative you're about to take part in is not from God. It might look good. It might feel good. It might smell good, but it's not from God. And when I read that, I immediately knew that that was prophetic. That word was from God. Mm -hmm. Now, it didn't make me feel good because I, I wanted to go and do what Don Wilkinson was giving me the rubber stamp to go and do. But when you know, when you know, when you know. And the facts also said when that door closes, another one is going to open. And that door, of course, was the Oasis World Foundation. And it started off as a children's ministry. So when I got to Columbia, when we got on the land, we started the children's ministry under a tree, humble beginnings, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, and we just had an handful of kids, uh, taught them some Bible scriptures, and gave them a snack. And that was it at the time. That's how it all got started. Wow. So this is a children's ministry that is not just like an, it's not an orphanage, right? No, it's not an orphanage and it's not a children's ministry anymore because children grow. They, they uh, tend to grow up on us, and, don't they? And the ministry has evolved to, yeah. you know, evangelism, church planting, medical missions, yeah. a sports academy, schools, education is huge with us, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's an evolving ministry, still evolving now. You know, it's beautiful to hear a story that starts off the way yours did. When you're in obedience, you arrive there. You mentioned having a suitcase and having a, a, a Manchester shirt. And that was it. Manchester United. Manchester the United. Got to say it all right. That's yeah, right. because there's another team called Manchester City. And, <laughs> and they're our enemy, mate. Our enemy. I like that. And yet with, with such a humble beginning... God has opened up what is this major ministry, and you're continuing to do it. It's, uh, it's just growing, like you said, changing. It's just a picture, David, of the faithfulness of God to you and to all of us if we are willing to listen and obey. Absolutely. You know, and, and as I said, this evolvement continues, and I think I mentioned it earlier in Christianity, something always comes next. So we're buying... Uh, pieces of land in some of the poorest areas, you know, and we're taking the gospel of Jesus Christ out there because I'm not in Colombia to feed kids, to educate kids, uh, do all those things. I'm in there to fulfill the Great Commission. Mm -hmm. Now, there's more than one way to skin a cat. So we use all these other variables that make up the equation to, to actually fulfill that Great Commission. Now, during 2020, the COVID lockdown and pause, God spoke to me again. He said, uh, David, uh, you know, I don't want you to go knocking on pastor's doors anymore and kind of capping hand and asking if you can have some time in the pulpit to, to share your vision and everything. I don't want you to do that any longer. And I thought, wow, that is very releasing that I don't have to do that because that's not easy being an itinerant missionary. Mm -hmm. He said, 
from now on, you're going to be rubbing shoulders with people of influence. And they're going to supp uh, supply the resource, what's required to, to, to build the next steps of the ministry. Which well, let's pick this story up in our next segment here, because this is very interesting. God's given you another transition, and it's one that is going to be now the next leg of your life. David Taylor is with me today from Oasis of Hope. I'll be back with him in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike here on The Shepherd. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years experience, EC Waters is a top train comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. Turning 65 or already on Medicare? Have you tried to compare Medicare supplement plans? Are you sick and tired of the awful TV commercials where washed-up football players confuse you even more? Speak with a licensed independent insurance agent today. Call 407-965-4166 now. Or visit Affordable One Insurance in Winter Park, Florida and discuss what is important for you. Be sure to ask us about dedicated senior medical centers. Back again here with David Taylor from the Oasis of Hope. It's a ministry in Columbia. The story is amazing. We ended segment two with a transition. God's telling you that you're the way you've been operating. Don't do that anymore. Here's something now I'm going to do. Pick it up from there. Yeah. So God basically said from now on, you're going to be rubbing shoulders with people of influence. And um, he, he gave me three words, which was innovation, diversification, and remember the poor. Now I thought, wow, you know, the first two words are very interesting. And I'm going to do some research on those two words. But the third one, I thought we've always, you know, basically helped the poor. But, you know, Mike, there's something different when you focus all your energies on something. The Apostle Paul said, I'm bringing all my energies to bear on this one thing. Mm -hmm. So when I started focusing on remembering the poor, God showed me a picture. And it was that old story of the wood nurse of Troy. Mm -hmm. You know, they'd been trying to uh, penetrate that fortified uh, kind of place for 10 years, I think the Bible said. They'd never been able to, you know, get into that fortified city. So then they came up with a bright idea of building that wood nurse, right? And then their army uh, went away during the day. They all sailed away and they left one sports person. And the sports person said, look, we acknowledge we can't get into your fortified city. So we've built this wooden horse uh, as a sacrifice to your gods that are more powerful than our gods. Okay. And you know the story, mm -hmm. the bulls, the wooden horse into Troy and the soldiers jump out and, you know, they take the city. So why food as a, as a wooden horse? Because we've done evangelism in the poor areas, but you kind of just get a little kind of feel into the place, not much penetration into the place. But when we take food, um, you know, we get a crowd all the time. Now, the Bible says faith comes by hearing the word. So we're going to share that gospel message before we distribute any food. Uh, and I, I love the story from John 3, uh, when Nicodemus, that 
Jewish leader knows the Bible back cover to front cover. He goes to Jesus in the dead of night. In the dark. Because he was too embarrassed yeah. to go during the day. And he said, look, um, Jesus, I know everything there is to know about religion. I'm a religion, religious expert. He said, but one thing I don't know is, how do I get to heaven? And of course, those historical words, you must be born again. So I don't think you have to mix words. You don't have to go into Deuteronomy. You don't have to go into Leviticus. Just share John 3. Mm -hmm. And if people receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their saviour, then baptise them in the spirit at the same time, if possible, which is going to empower them to get out of the poverty that they were born into through no fault of their own. Mm -hmm. So that strategy, that ev evangelistic strategy, has worked amazingly well. We've seen thousands come to the Lord. Just a few weeks ago, we had a team from the Calvary Orlando Church in Winter Park. They came, they wanted to focus on evangelism. So I got some stats back from the pastors because I'm a church planter as well. So from the church plants, the pastors sent us back the information that 320 people received Christ, over 500 people went to the altar and were delivered from some kind of spiritual bondage. They bought 500 Bibles. They bought 112 church for two of our church plants. They brought a few suitcases of toys, candy, and, and you know, clothes for the poorest of poor. Mm -hmm. So it looks like that strategy is working, Mike. Well, it sounds like it is, and you're doing a great job with it. And again, I mentioned that you do come occasionally here to the U.S. You've already mentioned Calvary. I know you're related to a lot of people that are a part of that church, a great church. Yeah, I'm a member of Calvary, and I've been for many, many years. But Oasis of Work Foundation is not under the auspices of Calvary. Uh, we're just in relationship together. And, right. And they support me as an Assemblies of God missionary. Uh, so that's where the re relationship is cemented, really. And you mentioned that Marvin is uh, part of your board as well, and he's over there. And, and so it's really great. I know that they are near and dear to you. And it's wonderful to have friends like this in the U.S. that sends out to you and to your ministry teams of people like what recently happened. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, we are very uh, blessed by having teams like Calvary Orlando, um, but not everyone can come and supply the money, what was supplied for the Bibles. He also helps us with our uh, synthetic uh, grass for our soccer academy. So we covered the uh, soccer pitch in ah. grass. So that's awesome. These kids had never seen syn synthetic grass or AstroTurf, if you want to call yeah. it that. They'd never <laughs> seen it before. So they're diving on it, rolling on it, jumping on it. You, you name it, but what a blessing that was and still is because I'm a passionate sports person. So we have the Oasis Sports Academy. The Soccer Academy is the fastest growing part of it because uh, soccer, of course, is a universal sport. Mm -hmm. Now, this um, organization, Oasis of Hope Foundation, it's a non-denominational charity that people can donate to. And why don't you go ahead and give us the website for that? Well, the website is www.oasisofhope-us.org. Got a hyphen after hope, us.org. That's yeah. great. 
And I know that um, you're in town again for this big event. Uh, tell us how all of how you got involved in that. Well, I've never been involved in a Christian Chamber of Commerce Expo thing, but three people, I think I'll name them, I may as well, that there's uh, Eric Floyd, who's my good friend who works at Universal. And he, and, and he was here on my show yesterday. Hey, well, it's a small world, Mike. It's a small world. <laughs> so Anderson Samora, who's Colum- Anderson, yes. So he's a Colombian who's also on our Oasis World Foundation board. Uh, and a new friend of mine called Robert Fullerton, who's a bit of a business entrepreneur. They all kind of forked out $200 each and $600 for the booth. So they've got the booth and then they say, oh, we got the booth. So I think, well, what are you going to do with the booth? Oh, you've got to come over. All right, I've got to come over. What do we put on the table? So we need some merchandise like caps, T-shirts, bracelets, you know, stuff like that. You've Prob- got the swag. You need to have the swag, don't you, mate? <laughs> so that's it. And so hopefully myself and the swag and Eric and Anderson are going to be enough to uh, convince some people to support Oasis What Foundation. And that's where you're going to be. You're going to be actually in a table. I'll be there as well uh, with the shepherd. And I won't have as much swag as it sounds like you're going to have, though. Well, we're not going to have a lot of swag, I don't think, but we're going to have enough. I mean, it's not about the swag. It's about our ability to communicate the information, what people need, enable to to make a kind of intelligent decision to support Oasis Vote Foundation, because we definitely are a small charity, but we punch above our weight. Uh, you know, and anyone who supports us, we will guarantee that their, you know, their dollar will go a long, long way. Now, you mentioned something that is so true for a Christian. There's always the next thing. There's always the next step to take. What do you see happening this year? Well, at the moment, I've just bought a piece of land in a place called La Isla, which is in Magdalena, Colombia. And I was almost two years trying to get that land. It's a nothing looking piece of land. It's 444 square meters. So it's a fair size, mm-hmm. but this very difficult family owned it. And in Colombian law, when parents die, the siblings are entitled to an, uh, an equal part of whatever money comes from the sale of the land. So for two years, I've been trying to negotiate with these people who was fighting each other, you name it. But just before June, because I took my family on a pilgrimage to Israel in middle of June, which was an amazing That's time. That's great, isn't it? Absolutely. So in June, the family got in touch with me. They'd already fight, frightened our lawyer off with death threats. He, he, he kind of had a meltdown. So bye-bye, Adalberto, that was his name. <laughs> so they said, oh, we, we've come to an agreement. We're all going to sign. Okay. So I went to a place called Sienega with uh, the school assistant. Uh, of our school, a lady called Adriana. So we went, guess what? They all started fighting again. To the point where they all drew knives on each what? other. What? Yeah, they all drew knives on each other. But I've got some good news. No blood was spilled. <laughs> wow. So anyway, I gets in the middle of them. Just call me Crazy Dave. Okay, I, I, gets, <laughs> I gets in the middle of them and makes the, the following declaration. Look, you lot. If you don't sign this piece of paper now, I'm walking away and I'm not coming back and you're not going to sell that piece of land to anybody else. Guess what? They all signed the piece of paper and we got the land. And the next day we had 400 packages of food available. I took the 400 packages of food to the land 
and we had this massive food distribution. It was amazing. But the biggest thing that we've got planned is a thing called the Dream Center. And the Dream Center is going to be on the land, what I talked talked about what God told me to buy. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be, you know, supplement everything else that we've got on the land at the moment, which is a school, a medical center, you know, the church is there, et cetera, et cetera, sports academy. But this Dream Center is going to be something else. It's going to be a 350-seater amphitheater. It's going to have a salons for performing arts because we're massive on performing arts at the Oasis Warp School. It's going to have computer salons. It's going to have... It, I won't go into everything that it's going to have, but it's the Dream Center. Mm. And the Dream Center is going to cost about a million dollars. So that's to build it and for all the fixtures and fittings inside. So we pray now and one of our... Um, advisory board members has said that he wants to spearhead the raising of the million dollars. So I'm waiting on God uh, for the phone call to say, hey, the million dollars is available. Get on with the construction. So we've never stopped dreaming. And, and my what I tell all our students, guys, if you're going to dream, dream big, because any dream you have is not too big for God. You know, Walt Disney, through curiosity and imagination, had a dream about a magic kingdom. And as they say, the rest is history. Right. And there's going to be a day that you're going to be looking back. Like you said, we're all not, we're, none of us are going to be around forever. And that's going to be passed on. And that what will uh, be an inspiring thing is the fact that what God did with you from a prison cell in that prison on that Christmas morning, Christmas, actually Christmas Eve, uh, is now, look at it, you say, wow, how did it all come? Well, it all came from a dream. It all came from the Lord speaking, and you're obeying. That's as simple as it gets right there. From prison cell to mission field. Wow. So this guy from the UK board of Otis is What Foundation said something to me a few weeks ago. He said, Dave, you were made for mission. And guess what? I'll take it. That's it. I believe it. David Taylor, what a great uh, opportunity it's been to spend this time with you. And we wish you the best. We'll get to see each other again down at the Expo this weekend. And friends, don't forget the Friday is a free event. You can uh, go to the uschristianchamber.com, I believe is the uh, right address for that, and find out all the information. It's at First Baptist Orlando, and that will be Friday in the morning and uh, for the expo, you come on out, see these people, meet David, get acquainted with him and the rest of us, and we hope to see you there. David, thanks for being with me. It's been a pleasure, Mike. And we'll see you all next time right here on Afternoons with Mike.